0: Hey, what's up, Resonate? Oh, my gosh. I thought you were the crowd that actually had coffee and donuts before the service. So let's try this one more time. What's up, Resonate? Yeah, there we go. That's what I was thinking. Hey, whether you're online or you're in Hayward, love our Hayward folks or here in Fremont. It is great to be together as the church today to bring God glory, isn't it? to worship him and to learn and grow because we will, never, we will never get to the end of learning about the goodness of God. Amen? So if you're one of the 178 people last week who made a profession of faith or said, hey, I want to make some sort of commitment to Christ, and you're back again this morning, we want to say welcome back. Like, it's great to have you. And we just want you to know we do this every week because it is so easy to forget about the goodness of God. It's so easy to get caught up in the world and other things that are going on to get busy with life. And we just get together and remind each other of how good our God is. Wasn't the worship great this morning? Like just I love what God is doing here and how he's teaching us. So, all right, I got a question for you as we get started. You ready? Do you ever feel like you don't fit in? Always. Ooh, okay. Do you ever feel like you don't fit in? So maybe, you know, it's a new school. It's a new job. You walk into the cafeteria or where people are just hanging out, and you notice everybody's sitting around and they're all hanging out together, and there's some sort of like insider language, maybe like inside jokes that people are laughing at, and you're like, I don't get those yet. I don't understand what's really going on. And so you feel like an outsider. You ever felt like that? I think the majority of us have, have felt like that at some point, felt like an outsider. Well, what does it take to fit in? Like, does it take common language, uh, common behavior? Sometimes you look at the room and you're like, they dress like this, so maybe I'll dress differently and see if that will. Maybe it's the amount of money. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Like, what does it take to fit in? And this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 15, and it's a place where Paul says, I didn't fit in. It's where he struggles to fit in. So, while you turn to that passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, I want to tell you who this sermon is for because it might be helpful for you. Because really if you're a person who says, "Man, I I don't know if I fit in. I'm not sure if I'm a person who is on the outside or the inside." If that's you, then this sermon is for you because what Paul wants to tell us this morning is how you go from being an outsider to becoming an insider. How do you go from not fitting to fitting in? How do you go from a perpetual state of, I think I'm accepted, I feel rejected. I think I'm accepted, I feel rejected, like some of us do. Some of you, you're like, what are you talking about? I've always fit in. Like I just walk into a room and I feel like I fit, you know? And if that's you this morning then I would say, will you listen because there's brothers and sisters, maybe a spouse, maybe a family friend, maybe a, s- someone at your work who they're like, I don't know what it means to fit in. And you can listen for the language of what Paul says. This is what it takes to fit in. You can listen on their behalf. And when they start telling you, yeah, I've struggled to fit in, that's your chance to be able to disciple them, to, to be able to share with them the goodness of Jesus. So, And then maybe you're a person this morning where you're like, I don't even know what Christianity is all about. And yet I would love to know, I think God's calling me to himself. I would love to know what does it take to be a Christian? What does it take for me to go from I'm outside of Christ to I'm inside of Christ? Does it, is it that secret handshake that you guys do at the door? You know what? We don't really have a secret handshake here at Resonate by the way. But what is it? What takes you from being an outsider to an insider? And we want to look at the Apostle Paul this morning and and see what he says. So, will you turn with me in scripture? And we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Will you stand as we honor God's word together? And he says this Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom is still alive though some have fallen asleep, or they've died. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then verse 8, check this out, what he says. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though that was not me, it was the grace of God that is in me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word and you may be seated. So in, in order to understand this passage a little bit, you have to understand uh, who Paul is And Paul grew up, he was a religious teacher. He is called a Pharisee. He grew up a Jew and became a leader in their religion. And when Christianity comes on the scene, when Jesus dies, is buried, is resurrected, and the church begins to flourish, the Pharisees were jealous of what was happening in the Christian church and they began to be persecutors. So Paul goes from Pharisee to persecutor and he begins to go from town to town, arresting Christians, putting them in jail, trying to snuff out the work of Jesus. And then he goes from persecutor, or he goes from Pharisee to persecutor to phenomenon. Because what happens is Jesus shows up in his life and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he begins to say, stop persecuting my body, the church. I love the church. And he calls Paul to himself and does a incredibly different ministry in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone was known for persecuting churches, and then all of a sudden they showed up at our church this morning, and they came through the front door, and we'd be like, I don't know if this is a good idea to let you in. You know, are you going to arrest us all? Are you taking notes? Like, what's going on here? And we might be a skeptical about it. So check out the words that some of Paul's new friends say. There's a, there's a man named Ananias who, as soon as Paul becomes, sees Jesus, Ananias is sent by the Lord to say, hey, go help Paul out. Go start the process of discipling Paul. And Ananias says this, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man Paul and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority and the chief priests to arrest all who call on his name. He's basically saying, Lord, I think I'm walking into a trap here, right? You can see it. And then the rest of the believers in Acts 9 20, 21, he says, All who heard were astonished and asked, Isn't Paul the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on Jesus' name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? In other words, are you sure about this guy? Like he's an outsider. I don't know if he's an insider. We're kind of skeptical of this. And so that's how others felt about Paul. But let's hear about how Paul felt about Paul during this time. Because it seems like he didn't feel like he was one of the guys. He didn't feel like he fit in. Or that he was part of the group. And Paul uses a couple key phrases here in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 8 and 9. He says, Last of all, he appeared to me. In other words, I was the late comer. I wasn't the early adopter. I came to the game late. And then he says, I was one who was untimely born, or I was born in the wrong time in the wrong place. And this was more than saying. He didn't fit in. What he's actually saying is, I didn't deserve to be born. Like this, I'm not even sure how I got here. He's really feeling the weight of not getting in. And then he says, because I persecuted the church of God, I'm not worthy. And this is the reason why he feels like he doesn't fit in. He's unworthy. He's the last to know. He's been persecuting. He's like, I don't even deserve to be here. And and can you feel the weight here? You know, he's like saying, hey, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to all the closest followers. He appeared to the 500, to James, to all the apostles, and then to me. I didn't quite fit in. Eugene Peterson, in his translation called The Message, says, I didn't deserve to be in the inner circle. I've heard those words before. How many of us feel like Paul felt here? Like, I don't deserve to be in the inner circle. I don't deserve, I just don't fit in. I don't know how to go from outsider to insider. Now, here's the cool news. Paul actually went from outsider to insider. He became known as the Apostle Paul. In fact, um, Paul becomes so well-known that he is credited for writing almost half of the New Testament. 13 out of 27 books are penned by Paul. He actually becomes... Uh, a great church planter. He plants over 14 churches that we know of. Some scholars think up to 20 churches. And he became the father, the grandfather, and to all of us who believe in Jesus in this room, he's our great, 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 great grandfather. That's how he fit in. But more than that, more than any of those accolades that he gets, you know what he became? Son of God. He became a brother and sister. He became into the family. He fit in. Now, what does it take for Paul to go from, I don't fit in, to fitting in? From, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm an outsider. Everyone thinks I'm an outsider, to I'm an insider. And, and how might Paul have tried to become an insider? I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting question because we have the answer in Scripture, but how might he have tried, like what are some other methodologies he could have used in order to become an insider? He could have said, money, I'll just buy my way in. I'll just, you know, I'll be like Warren Buffett. Like I'm just going to give away all my wealth and that way I can buy myself in. Or maybe if I power, I'll just force myself into this equation. You know, I am important. I have a name. I am who I am. I'm going to, I'm in. Maybe about, maybe it was religion. Maybe he said, Um, I grew up in the church, and so therefore I deserve to be here. Or maybe it was education. Like if I know enough, if I read enough books, if I memorize enough scripture, then I'll be in. Or how about associations? I know the right people. Like Pastor Will is my friend. Pastor Ryan is my friend. I know all these people, and therefore I'm in. Or how about work? Work. Maybe he said, I did more good than bad. Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing wrong things, but the later half of my life, I just did way more good than bad. Therefore, I should be in. What options have you tried to become an insider? I know I felt like an outsider a lot. I know that I felt like I've not fit in. I know that I've gone through those cycles of I feel accepted today, I feel rejected tomorrow, I feel accepted the next day, I feel rejected. You know, we, we go through those cycles. And so, you know, we're always trying to figure out what to fit in. And, and, and I've done this on a continuous basis where I think, well, maybe money, maybe associations, maybe my clothing, maybe these things. And, you know, the good news is this, though, that Paul doesn't list out any of those in our text what does he say? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Do you see it? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace is what turned Paul from being an outsider into an insider. And here's here's our key thought. The grace of the resurrection takes us from being outsiders to insiders. Now, if Paul... If he's an outcast, if he didn't fit in, if he goes from outsider to insider and his explanation is by the grace of God, don't you think that we need to understand the grace of God? What it's about. So, I've got four questions that I want to ask about grace. One is, what is the grace of the resurrection? The second one is, how do we find the grace of the resurrection? The third is, how does the grace of the resurrection take us from being outsiders to insiders? And then the last one is, what is the proof of knowing the grace of the resurrection? So, let's do these one by one. First of all, what is the grace of the resurrection? Grace is simply this it's undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Now, Christians, you need to know how to explain grace because this is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion out there. Every other religion has this sort of works ethos. It has this idea of karma. What comes around goes around. Therefore, I need to work to appease, to show myself approved, to be on the in. In order to fit in, I need to work. But what do we have? We have the grace of the resurrection. Um, There's a guy named Bono. He's the front man for the best band of all times. You too. Um, If you don't agree with me, that's okay. Um, But I love this band. And this is what he says about grace. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics... In physical law, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of our actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Do you see the difference? Grace, undeserved favor. Karma, you get what you deserve. Now, I was having a conversation with a friend. Uh, a, a, a guy came to our MC, who, um, which is our missional communities. It's like our small groups at, uh, at Resonate, and I hope you get to join one. I hope you're a part of one. And this brother came to our MC, and he didn't know Jesus very well like it's brand new in his faith. So I'm like, I want to hang out with you. I want to start hanging out with you every Saturday and just having conversations about Jesus. And and I hope you get to do that. That's what disciples making disciples looks like, you know, us getting to explain our faith. And so, you know, one of the things he said to me was I don't really understand grace. In fact, he said I don't understand the the, the difference between pity and mercy and grace. Like I don't understand the grace of the resurrection. And I remembered a, f- a few years ago, probably like 20 years ago, a pastor that I sat under gave this great illustration, and I, and I want to share it with you and kind of make it personal to me. So I have a 1977 Jeep, and uh, it's like a prized possession to me. I love that thing, you know. I mean, it's not that important because it's 1977, but, you know, it's cool. Like, it's, an, it's, it's a fun car, and it's way better than my family, you know, Chevrolet Traverse, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, like a kind of a boring family SUV. The Jeep is cool. It's like fun to drive in, you know. And so what if I brought that Jeep to work one day and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and someone comes up and says, hey, I love your Jeep. Um, can I take it f- to lunch? Can I just drive down the street to In-N-Out Burger? I would love to drive your Jeep. And I'd be like, oh, that makes my heart happy because I enjoy it. I think you'll really enjoy it. I love it when my joy's made complete because you're enjoying this too, you know, and so I hand the keys over. I'm like, take her for a spin. She's, she's amazing, you know. And the first thing you do is when you pull out of the parking lot, you don't look and you get creamed into by a truck. And I come running out and I'm like, my Jeep. I mean, are you okay? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Let's get our priorities straight. And I find out you're fine, but the Jeep's total and it's sitting like a mangled piece of metal on the side of the road. Well, the first thing I can do is have pity on you. I can feel sorry for you that that, that, that this happened. You know, you say like, yeah, this was my fault. I wasn't looking. I was like just thrilled about driving the Jeep. I wasn't even thinking and it's all my fault. And I can have pity and I can say, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. You're still going to have to pay for it, right? That's pity, right? But then what would mercy be? I mean, if you take it to the next level, mercy would be me coming out and saying, man, I'm really sorry that happened to you, but listen, I've got great insurance. Don't worry about it. Like this is going to be okay. This is going to work out fine. You're off the hook. That's mercy, right? Because you're not now responsible for this at all. as a done deal. But what if I said to you, Oh, I feel really sorry for you that this has happened, and don't worry about it at all. And you know what? I, asked, I, I saw that smile on your face as you were driving the Jeep out, and I can see how much you love a Jeep. So let's go down to the local Dodge dealership, and I'm going to buy you a brand new Jeep. That's grace. Because here's what it's lavishing. It's lavishing. It's more than pity, it's more than mercy. It's lavishing God's goodness. And in fact, if you look at Ephesians 2, this is the way Paul describes it. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There could have been pity right there, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved That's mercy. Now check out the next statement. And raised us up with him to be seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? He's not just pitiful to you, shows pity upon you. He's not just showing mercy upon you. He's lavishing you. He calls you Sons and daughters because of what he has done. Not just pity, not just mercy, but grace. You're alive with him in Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenlies. It's forgiveness. It's restoration. It's I'm giving you a brand new name. The old name that you had was associated with shame. The old actions are associated with guilt. Guilt. But this is grace. I'm giving you above and beyond a fresh start. I'm lavishing my goodness upon you. And the grace of the resurrection tells us what? That we belong when we shouldn't. We go from being outsiders to being insiders. So how do we how do we find the grace of the resurrection? Well, Paul gives us two clues in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15 of how he found The grace of the resurrection. And I want to say it like this. First of all, he understood with his heart, and then he understood with his head. And so if you look at it, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Now that's significant because the word gospel means what? Good news. It's good news. I'm I'm bringing you good news. I'm not bringing you good advice. I'm not bringing you uh, something that you can do I'm saying, I've just got good news that is going to change your life. And that good news is free and forever. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is yours. And I think what he's saying is, when you get it with your heart, what you're saying is, if grace seems too good to be true, you might just be starting to see it for the first time. That's how good grace is. If you think you're having a hard time understanding why God would do this, join all of the angels in all of creation who are saying, what is going on? Your grace, your mercy is so powerful. Do you know, you know that's what scripture says? Is that like angels are longing to look in and say, what did God do? Like he didn't just have pity on them. He didn't have mercy. He had, he lavished them. That's, that's the grace but he doesn't just say, get it with your heart. He also understood it with his head. If you look at verses three and four, he says, I delivered to you as the, as a first importance, what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised up on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So Christ died for our sins and he was buried. Christ was raised on the third day. What he's saying is, In that, Christ overcame sin and death. In other words, there's a transaction that happened. There was guilt. There was shame. There was broken relationship. And what did God do? He put Christ there on our behalf. And so we begin to understand, almost in judicial, court-like terms, the justice of God. That he doesn't just make sin appear. He puts it on his son. And in that, we receive what we shouldn't have received, which is grace and his mercy. And we go from outsiders to insiders. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what he's saying is, Christ, not me, did all the work. Now, if you're new to this, if you're new to this idea of grace or you're trying to teach somebody who's new to this idea of grace, here's a great acronym for you. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Because that's what he's giving us. Remember all that talk? Seated with him in the heavenlies? The immeasurable riches poured out on us? Like, Can you imagine as Christians, like God could have just said, I feel sorry for you. And I'm going to show mercy on you, but I never want to see you again. And that would have been even more than we deserved. But he says, giddy up, I want you to sit right next to me. I want you to come hang out with me. I want you to sit, and I'm going to treat you exactly like I, I treat Jesus, like a son, like a daughter. That's, that's the amazing grace of God. So how does grace How does the grace of the resurrection take us from being outsiders to being insiders? Well, here's what Paul knew. He was always on the outside when measurements for success were education, power, wealth, influence, any of those things that I said earlier. He was always on the outside when he used those. Do you know why? Because there's always somebody who's going to do better at it than you. There is someone here this morning who knows more than you. There is someone here this morning who gives more than you. There is someone here this morning who has been here longer than you. So if you use those as your measurements to try and fit in as a Christian, you are damned. It is a diminishing return on investment that will not help you. But Paul became an insider when what? When he believed that only by grace... Did he measure up what he could not do had been done for him and what had been done for him could never be taken away and nobody could outdo what God had done for him. he believed it. He believed that this was the grace of God applied to him. Now, when I was a younger guy, um, I always had this question in the back of my head, like, when will I be a man? You know, when, when did you become a man or a lady? When did that happen? Like, was it 16 when you got your driver's license? Yes. I'm in control. You're not in control. You have an insurance bill and a responsibility now, right? (laughs) One that's going to break down all the time. So how about when I'm 18? I can vote and I can get drafted. Now I'm a man. How about 21? You can legally pay for your drinks. Did you get that? It wasn't drink, it was legally pay for your drinks now, right? How about 25, rental car status, right? You're finally in, like you've made it. How about 35, when you can finally run for president? Maybe it's when you get married. Maybe it's when you have kids. And I always had these questions, you know, like when am I going to measure up? When am I going to... Because there's no test, there's no credential, there's no like somebody saying, you are now this person. You know, that, that doesn't happen. Or even if it does happen, you're like, I don't, I don't know if that actually worked or not. And I realized that it was one day when I just had to realize and believe I'm a man now. I'm a man. Like this is who God has made me to be. And I wonder the same way in faith. This is what Paul is saying. Like, I believed. I am what I am. And he said, it applies to me. And he began to to live in the grace of the resurrection. From outsider to insider. Not because of what he's done. Not because of who he is. But because of what God has done. And he's saying, I believe this. And it applies to me. Can you say the same thing? Do you believe that the grace of the resurrection actually applies to you? You know, if we go back a few chapters in 1 Corinthians, go back to chapter 11, Paul actually wrote the book of uh, Corinthians to the church in Corinth as kind of an instruction book. And back in chapter 11, he gives us this awesome um, instruction of how to take communion. You know, this little cup that we take that has the bread on the bottom and the, the, and the juice inside it? They would... Have a meal together and they would enjoy the bread that was broken and the, the wine poured out, the blood poured out, and they would remember the work that God had done. They were rehearsing the story of the gospel. This is how much He loves you, that He laid down His life for you. And as He's talking to them, He's like, Hey, let me, let me remind you about something. Let me tell you something. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 30. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, In an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks judgment on himself, this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It's interesting. You know, what does he mean, taking communion in an unworthy manner? Was this. Like Paul was hanging out with a youth pastor, and the youth pastor said, hey, I took a bunch of kids to camp, and we forgot the bread and the juice, so we had Twinkies and Pepsi. And so we did communion with Twinkies and Pepsi. Was he saying, you guys, you did that in an unworthy manner. And that was, I don't know, there, there might be something to that. I mean, there's sort of a reverence that comes to taking communion together, isn't there? And so I, I, I don't know if Twinkies and Pepsi could you know, carry the weight of what we're trying to do. So maybe that's, but here's what I think Paul is really saying to them. Some of you are taking communion, which reminds you of the grace of God. You're rehearsing the story of the gospel and you're taking the cup and you're taking the cracker and you only believe it about 50% applies to you. So you're like, yes, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness And by the way, I'm going to go out and work hard this week for the rest of it. God, I thank you so much for forgiving me, but I'm going to go do my darndest to somehow show you that I can live right and do more good than bad. And you've kind of had this duality in your faith of, yes, I believe it's Jesus, but yes, I believe it's... And I think for some of us, we're like 10% believe in Jesus, 90% believe in our own works especially if you came from a Catholic or a Muslim background or some other religious identity where works is a massive part of it, it is hard to shrug that off. And yet Paul is saying, when you come to know Jesus, it is the grace of God 100%. 100%. And so when we take communion today, which we will do at the end of our service, can you say, This applies to me. And if nothing ever happened or changed, I'm going to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's where we're going. Or are you going to say, it's 60%, it's 70%, it's 80%. And if you do that, you will get sick and die. Why? Because if you're still trying to work for your salvation... The question is, is how much is enough? And you will live with a little anxiety in your life. I'm not sure if I'm doing enough, I'm not sure if I'm giving enough. I'm not sure. How do I know if I'm gonna be an insider? How do I know if I'm gonna go from outsider to insider? And doctors tell us that anxiety is the cause of a lot of our physical ailments. And so I think that some people they deal with this anxiety of I don't know if I fit. And it actually takes them from being a healthy person to being a sick person to the point of actually dying. And and he could be talking about physically, but he could also talk about spiritually. Because if you don't believe that the grace of God applies to you 100%, then you're going to be trying to appease it on your own. And all of a sudden, this good news of the gospel is not going to be good news anymore. Because you're going to be saying... God, the burden you put upon me is not easy. And the yoke that you put upon me is not light, like Jesus said. Because I can't seem to do it good enough. Like I stopped looking at porn for five days in a row and then the next day I blew it again. Or I stopped thinking about improper things and have lustful thoughts. Or I stopped spending my money. Or I stopped, like I did it for a certain amount of time and then I blew it again again. It's either all grace or it's works. And you will get so tired if you think it's 50% grace and 50% works that eventually you will spiritually die. You will give up. Look around. Look how many people have walked away from the faith. Why? Because they don't have a good understanding of grace. And therefore, the burden of trying to be a Christian is too much. There's no such thing as trying to be a Christian. You either are or you aren't based upon the work of Jesus. That's what the grace of the resurrection is. So what's the proof? What's the proof of knowing the grace of the resurrection? I mean, people say a lot of things like, yes, I believe in the grace of the resurrection, but what's the evidence of that? A.W. Tozer says this, if we are not changed by grace, We are not saved by grace. And I love it here because Paul actually has evidence in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, this sounds really ironic because he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, and then I worked harder than any of them. So he's saying, you know, you have grace, but you also have works. And he's trying to put these two together and overlap them. And they don't really, it's like oil and water coming together. They don't work, do they? I mean, it's either a gift, grace, lavish riches that we don't deserve, or it's works. And here's what Paul's saying is, initially, I worked to find my acceptance. But after I knew I was accepted by grace, I loved to work. In fact, he says it like this, Paul didn't work to be loved. He works because he is loved. I, I've never been a millionaire. I don't think I'll be a millionaire because I don't even buy lottery tickets. Um, but some of you are millionaires and some of you have enough money in the bank that you don't have to worry about money ever again. And I can imagine that when you have enough money in the bank that you don't have to work ever again, what happens? What happens? You actually choose where you want to work. like most people go to work because they have to work and they have a rent or a payment or whatever is due. But some of you are like, "I've paid everything off, I've got plenty in the bank, I could live forever. Now what am I going to involve my life in?" And you're choosing what you do with your work. you're choosing an organization, you're choosing a charity or something or right to be a part of and I, and I think this is what Paul's saying is once you know that the immeasurable riches of Christ have been applied to you you don't work anymore you choose what you want to be a part of and so he begins to work and love what he's doing because he's a spiritual millionaire so now he pours his life back in, not afraid of appeasing, not afraid of doing enough. He's like, I've already done enough. The score is settled because of what Jesus has done. And his doing was the grace, was the believing. And so now he's like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work hard. And, and what he says is amazing here because he says, I worked harder than any of them. And then immediately he points it all back to grace again, though it was not me, but the grace of God that is with me. Even his works pointed back to grace. The things he did, the things that we get to do, more than we could ever imagine. Grace. That's grace. So, what have we seen so far? Paul's an outsider, he's late to the game, he didn't fit in, he's unworthy. He's got guilt and shame. He didn't deserve to be in the inner circle. But then in realizing the grace of the resurrection, he becomes an insider. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And the proof of the grace of the resurrection was seen in the freedom in his life to just pour his life out to God. So what about us? Do you feel like an outsider this morning? Do you feel like someone who doesn't fit in? I remember... Um, When I was in high school, I had a really good friend named Craig. And one day, Craig and I were just hanging out um, in the youth room together. And it's so poignant in my mind because he said to me, you know, I just don't feel like I fit in. I I don't feel like um, I hear his voice when I pray. I don't feel like when I worship, I see you off there worshiping and raising your hands and doing the white man dance you know, the little shuffle thing. He's like, but you, but but me, I don't feel any of that. I'm just like standing there watching you and thinking like, what, what's going on there? And I had no idea what to say to Craig that day. And I wish I knew to say, hey, buddy, it's not because I have knowledge. It's not because I have given money. It's not because I've It's not because of any of those things. It's not because I feel like I hear God's voice in my head. It's not because I know how to raise my hands in worship and you don't. It's not because of any of those things. It's because I believe the grace of God is applied to me. That's what it is. And so I just wonder this morning, do you ever feel like everyone knows more than you do? Do you ever feel like everyone does more than you do, gives more than you do? Does everyone... Do you ever feel like everyone is raising their hands in church more than you are? Do you ever feel like if people knew the real you, they would say you're not worthy to be here, like Paul? If you grew up in a Western culture, do you feel like you've done enough? If you grew up in an Eastern, Eastern culture, do you feel like you are enough? Those are two very different questions, but they both have the answer. And maybe you're trying to answer that by saying, well, I will fit in by works, by money, by influence, by education, by behavior, by associations, by coming here enough. And yet the truth is what it takes for you to go from being an outsider to an insider, it has already been done. Not just pity, not just mercy, but grace. And grace that is abundantly lavished on us. The grace of the resurrection means this, that you are now in the inner circle. And nothing can change that. I was listening to a, a sermon. You know, sometimes when I'm preparing for a, a sermon, I'll read commentaries. Sometimes I'll listen to audio sermons of other um, pastors, because they've taught it before, have some wisdom, and I love like podcasts of other sermons, so I would encourage you to listen to and I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller on this specific, specific passage. And Tim said, "Everybody has an "I am" and an "I was" story. Everybody, all of us. You have an I was and I am." And as a Christian, what is in the center of that is the grace. I was, here's the grace, and I am. You know, there's only one person in all of history that doesn't have an I was and an I am story. You know who it is? It's Jesus. Because he has always been the great I am. And because of him being the great I am, he dies, he is buried, he is resurrected, and he now lavishes us with grace. That's what he's done for us. And let's let scripture have the last word today. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Because of the resurrection, it says this, you will never be shut out. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grace of God alone takes us from being outsiders to making us insiders. You believe it, church? Let's pray. God, we just say thank you. What else can we do? We can just say thanks because you've lavished on us your grace. god we just pray for one another right now lord we know that there's those amongst us who don't feel like they fit in we pray that you would make your grace known to them holy spirit come affirm speak to my brothers and sisters do what only your spirit can do fill them anew afresh and lord as believers in Christ, we also believe those, we also pray for those around us who are struggling. We pray that you would make it clear to them, Lord. It's only because of the grace of the resurrection, not works or anything else. Yeah. We just praise you today, Lord. You've lavished on us. We get to sit by you in heaven for eternity. You didn't just have pity on us. You didn't just have mercy on us. You have lavished us with grace. And that's why we're your children. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's give him praise.